It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Hello, hello. Hello, how are you? Fine, come in number three, as they used to say. To people out on the boating pond. I think that's right, isn't it? We went out in a pedalo in Alexandra Palace in London the other weekend. Did you? Yeah. How are you on a pedalo, in a pedalo? Surprisingly good. I didn't mangle any swans, we didn't run aground. Uh, yeah, um, well... Yeah, I think it could be... Uh, it, it could be my vehicle of choice. Yeah. You bl- blow me down if, if as t- it literally just uh, moments before we came on air, as they say, I didn't run into a, a, one of the lifeguards from where I swim. And he said that a photographer, the paparazzi, have been nosing around trying to get a photo of me in my skinny uh, uh, speeders. I'm not sure they are speeders, but I mean, I've got a number of different costumes. So, um, but... <laughs> They, I mean, in a way, I think I should be flattered. This is fantastic news. Do you think so? I mean, so? it's not great for the other people who use that pond. So the, there's somebody lurking in the bushes. Lurking, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it puts the suppression of the Icelandic geothermal baths video in a whole new light. It rather suggests that you could sort of sell it to the highest bidder. Well, I am now thinking, obviously, these editors of Fleet Street, there's some kind of... They, they've said to the paparazzi, we want a photograph of Miliband in his cold water swimming yeah. gear. There's, there's probably a price on your head, or at least on, I, uh, on, on parts of my body. I think the... Uh, I don't think... I don't actually think that I, you can see my costume in the geothermal um, video. No, you look as naked as the day you were born. I know, so maybe exactly. that would make it even more valuable, but perhaps less publishable. Titillating. You, you think you they'd have to... to sell it on the bottom shelf of the newsagents? You think so? Um, anyhow, it's uh, so. I, I think it's partly I'm saying this because I want to sort of give people a health warning that if this comes out, it's not that I've taken the sort of Vladimir Putin bare-chested on the horse. <laughs> approach to political kind of success and that i've thought you know it's not like i've gone through the thought process of thinking i'm gonna pose 
in my speedos in order to seek political success. I mean, I suspect that the picture will tell a thousand words and will be clear that I haven't done it for my own advantage. But I just want to be sort of, in case it now does come out, I just want to sort of, I want to kind of get that on the record early. You know what I mean? It's not the Edstone Mark II. Have you ever had any kind of official portrait done? In my speedos. Will there be some permanent record of you as this serious politician, former leader of the opposition in the National Portrait Gallery at, at some point? I think it'd be great to commission one of you in your speedos for posterity. I think actually you do have a picture of me in those... Uh, neoprene trunks actually didn't i send one to you once you said you sent one to me for christmas and uh, <laughs> i have not shown it to another living soul but now i think honestly um, the market now that i realize there's a financial value to i know this thing, i mean it's it basically a conflict everything. between sort of market it's like goes to the book doesn't it market values and social <laughs> values i mean if you're interested in market values i'm not sure the market will be pay a very high price for this actually let's, i mean let's not sort of I don't think I should flatter myself too much here. I am. Um, I need to tell you. I need to tell you something. Go on. You don't need to think of a reason to be cheerful for this week's episode. I know. I already have one for you, and we will be visiting that shortly. I know, but you know, this is so exciting. Shall I? Can I? Can I explain? Yes. I mean, a package arrived while I was doing something else today, and it got Jeff's handwriting on it. And I hadn't kind of clocked. There was actually Jeff who brought it. Um, I thought it might have been his chauffeur. Uh, it was Jeff. <laughs> it was Jeff who brought it round. Uh, but thank you for leaving it here. And um, well, I'm I'm intrigued. You know, a big thing on YouTube these days is unboxing videos. Oh, yeah, well, where this is, people this film is... themselves. This is this will be the audio equivalent of an unboxing video. Now, should we talk about what we're talking about? Yes. So for our final episode. On my book, Go Big, I don't think it's my uh, final episode, actually. I mean, you know, it's sort of the last of the series of four, but I'm sure we'll keep returning to it. We're discussing how everyone can be part of making change happen. And it's the last section of my book. One of the most important messages of Go Big is that politics is, as I say, too important to be left to the politicians. Throughout history, it has been movements of people rather than politicians alone that have created the conditions for big change. And today there are extraordinary campaigners all around the world successfully doing just that. And we're, we're exploring, as the book does, a handful of stories that show we all have more power than we think might think to change things. So we're starting by talking to Ali Abdi and El-Bashir Idris. They're both community activists who are involved in the campaign for the first Halal Nandos in Cardiff. It's really illustrating the power of the method of community organising. And we're going to be asking them about the initial campaign and the activism uh, it has inspired more recently. Then we're talking to Adriana Alvarez, who's been involved in the fight for $15 in the US, a movement of workers calling for a $15 an hour minimum wage. And it began with just 200 fast food workers in New York. And it's since won changes which have benefited 22 million people, uh, which is just an extraordinary campaign. Then we'll be talking to Jane Thewlis, who campaigns with the fossil fuel divestment movement. That is a movement globally that has persuaded more than a thousand organizations around the world with $14 trillion worth of assets to commit to selling off their fossil fuel investments. And we'll be asking Jane about the local fossil fuel divestment campaign she's involved in in West Yorkshire. And finally, we're bringing together some of these different themes by speaking to a, a really interesting writer on social movements, Paul Engler, about his theory of how mass movements help bring about social change. Jeff, what's your reason to be cheerful? 
I'm going to give you a very quick one, then we can get on with yours. Remember last week we were talking about The Longest Day and I was saying how much I used to enjoy Swedish Midsummer. Yeah. I went online that same evening and I found some Swedish Midsummer socks, limited edition. I bought myself a pair and I am now the owner of some glorious socks with maypoles and elk and different uh, Midsummer foodstuffs and they are magnificent. Now, are you ready? So you've got the, go on, the envelope there. Before you open it, what this is is I've been so impressed with all the hard work you've been out there doing, telling people about the book. So I wanted to get you a little congratulatory thing. Uh, so, so I made you a little something. So so if you open the, uh, open the envelope. I think they're headphones, are they? No, just open it up. Get it open. I hope you can hear this on the microphone. It's not just a sound effect. I'm opening an envelope. You've got an iPhone and some headphones. Yeah. Now, I'm going to give you some instructions. In a second, I'd like you to take off the podcast headphones that you're wearing, and I will give you the passcode for that phone. The only thing in that phone is one video. Now, we can't play yeah. this video on the podcast for legal reasons, but what we can do is is uh, you can watch it with the headphones on. We can hear your reaction to this video, and then when it's over, we can talk about what you've just seen. Does all that make sense? Yeah. Do you want to guess what? Can you guess what the passcode is? No. I'll tell you, it isn't 2015. Um, it is the year that man first walked on the moon and Ed first walked on the planet. 1969. There you go. So you can unlock the phone, take your headphones off, put the other ones on, go into the photos, turn it sideways. There's a video there and uh, we, we will listen to you watch the video. I'm very mystified by this. Right. There is there is one video. So I'm going to look at that. Oh, my God. And now it's the Dallas theme tune. Absolutely dumbstruck. Jeff, I mean, you are absolutely extraordinary, Jeff Lloyd. I mean, Jeff has managed to get... um, (laughs) Jeff has managed to get the characters who play Sue Ellen, Bobby and Lucy to offer me congratulations on the book complete with Dallas theme tune and quite a lot of detail. That is absolutely extraordinary. Jeff, that is so thoughtful of you. Absolutely gobsmacked. I feel like watching you watch that video, I got a little glimpse of nine-year-old Ed watching telly, watching Dallas on the telly. That is so, that is so thoughtful and amazing of you. Honestly, I'm so moved by that. Reasons to be Cheerful, a podcast about ideas with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Well, now to talk about how we can bring change about, even in circumstances where it doesn't feel like that. I'm really delighted to say that we're joined by Ali Abdi, who's a community organiser with Cardiff Citizens, and El Bashir Idris, who is a community activist. And both of them were involved in the campaign for a Halal Nando's in Cardiff. And this is the campaign that I heard about when I was on the Citizens UK uh, community organising 
course, after I lost the 2015 general election. And the story of that campaign really, of all the things that I heard during that week and learned during that week, this is the this is the thing that, in a way, stuck with me the most, because it's certainly a very evocative uh, example. So, so I'm delighted, Ali and Al-Bashir, that you're joining us. So, Ali, let's start with you. you. You were a youth worker when the campaign for Halal Nando's in Cardiff began. Perhaps you could start by telling us about that and how the campaign came about. Yeah, so I was a youth worker uh, in the southern arc of the, the city of Cardiff uh, in an area called Butown uh, and Grangetown. Uh, yeah, and I come across, in fact, um, Citizens UK who are looking to begin a chapter of community organising uh, and launch here in Wales and in Cardiff. Uh, and they came across to us and asked, look, you know, what are the pressures facing uh, young people? What are the pressures facing you and your community? So, yeah, you know, I, I I was there. I was like, yeah, you know, jobs and opportunities, stop and search. And then there was this uh, particular place uh, in Bute, near to Butan, a literally a stone throw away um, called Cardiff Bay, where actually, you know, the, the local community felt they weren't welcome to this space. Uh, and particularly because it had been built up and glamorized as a tourist area. There was a Nando's there. Nando's is really popular amongst young people. And so, you know, we, that was the target. It was like, if you could eat anywhere in this area, where would it be? And it was like, that place there. You were a youth worker. Did you, you knew about this view about the Nando's, did you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So not just as a youth worker, um, you know, I like to go and eat food myself. And, <laughs> and Nando's is a, is a nice place to, to have food. And so the nearest Nando's, in fact, was in Pontypridd. The, the nearest, the Halal Nando's, yeah. Absolutely, the nearest Nando's that Muslims can eat at. Honestly, it was a bus ride, a train ride, and if you are driving, it was a good 20 minutes. So, El-Bashir, let's turn to you. How did you first meet uh, Ali and and get involved in, in campaigning on this issue? Well, I, I think I was in uh, college or sixth form during the time, and then um, Ali was well-known um, amongst the young people, and... He, he basically came into my high school back then into the sixth form and was, hey, listen, have you guys realized that you can't eat together with your uh, Muslim and non-Muslim friends and you have to like travel 20 kilometers outwards just so you can eat? And, and we already had those thoughts and such. Ali, you know, brought us together, brought like-minded people together and uh, we, we, we tried multiple different actions and each action we did... Um, we didn't get the reaction we wanted, and so we just had to escalate it a bit. So that takes us on, El-Bashir, to the story of the campaign. T- tell us a bit about the actions you planned and what was the initial response from the bigwigs at Nando's? Well, hey, writing a letter, uh, you know, as a start, where anyone would do that initially. Uh, however, the bigwigs, they, they, they don't listen to the letters. They didn't want to read it. And so we had to, uh, you know, up the notch a bit. Um, and then uh, an action that uh, we organized together, uh, led by Ali, um, instead of, if they're not going to read our piece of paper, then we're going to come to you. And so uh, we went to the Nando's HQ. I wasn't part of that team, uh, but they went, a delegation was sent forward and um, we demanded, a, you know, a straightaway meeting with, you know, the big dogs. And um, they, they, they denied us. So we had to go back to the drawing boards again. And sometimes the threat of an action is a bit more stronger than the action itself. So we had to take on a bit more provocative measures. Nando's has refillable cups, right? Like you go inside, you refill the cups, lovely days. 
we had around 200 people with us. So imagine if you got 200 people and there's three Nandos in Cardiff, uh, you just fill them all up and get everybody to uh, sit down with refillable cups and uh, nobody can order food. Um, that's how serious we took it. And um, I, I think uh, Nando's, they heard about this, right, Ali? And they begged us to stop. Absolutely. So it was, it was so where we finally did uh, get a reaction by Nando's, uh, the, the big wigs, uh, we invited them to Cardiff uh, to meet and hear from young leaders who had been training and getting themselves ready to, to negotiate, uh, if you like, and put across uh, their case for why uh, you know, there should be a, a halal restaurant here in Cardiff. And so these big wigs felt this was a Muslim issue and was Muslim young leaders particularly was leading on this. But in fact, we gave them a location uh, to one of, our, one of our member institutions, which was a local church in a city centre. So you can imagine their faces when they turned up uh, to negotiate on an issue that uh, around halal food uh, with young people from faith and non-faith backgrounds uh, uh, in a church. And it was Ramadan, so we couldn't eat. Uh, we had baked <laughs> uh, Welsh cakes to, to present to them, and they offered it to us. They're like, oh, hey, you guys haven't any. I said, no, 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 it's, it's Ramadan, so we're observing Ramadan, and um, as such, we won't be eating. So they must have thought there was something in there. <laughs> but um, yeah. uh, but there, was, there was nothing nefarious in the Welsh cakes. And you told them, as I remember the story, why you liked Nando so much. You weren't sort of shouting at them or anything. You were actually sort of just being, we're fans of Nando's, here's why we're fans of Nando's, and we'd like to eat at Nando's, but we can't. Absolutely. So the young leaders literally just put across and said how wonderful their restaurant is, how wonderful they, they, would, they would love to go out and eat there with their friends and how difficult it is that they're not able to eat there and how they, you have four fantastic restaurants in Cardiff. And wouldn't it be great if just one of them uh, was accessible by our community? And am I right in thinking that you got what, the Bishop of Cardiff, is it, to threaten to dress up as a chicken? Yeah, so <laughs> so the so the so the chicken run action. So um, uh, Al Bashir touched on the actual uh, action we were to do initially was to occupy the restaurant uh, and literally, you know, hit them where they hurt, if you like, financially, and have every seat uh, occupied by somebody who would want to halal chicken, uh, but they would be told, sorry, we don't we, we don't serve halal chicken. They instead, have bottomless drinks. So when we ditched that idea, when they came back to us and said, please don't, you know, we let's have a conversation and let's, you know, when they reacted to us, if you like, um, we then went to plan B, which was, you know, to demonstrate how serious he was about chicken. We wanted to get four significant people to dress up in chicken costumes and actually uh, travel there one by train, one by bus. Uh, one by, uh, yeah, pub, by public transport, one was going to cycle as well. So, yeah, the idea was to get the faith leaders initially to do it. Uh, but they all identified uh, a younger person, if you like, in the institute. Oh, I see. <laughs> right. So so they didn't actually dress up as the chickens. How did it then come about? When did it then succeed? What was the sort of moment of success? Ultimately, the moment of success was um, actually as a result of that negotiation. Because one of our leaders basically presented a, a, an opportunity uh, to the bigwigs and basically said, look, um, at the end of this year, uh, in October, we're going to be celebrating our big Eid, uh, our big celebration. And we'd like to bring together, uh, you know, the, the Muslim community, the Christian community and other faith groups and celebrate and have that celebration here at your Nando's restaurant. Uh, and then lo and behold, you know, uh, a couple of days before Eid, we get a phone call uh, asking uh, a core group of us to meet them at the Nando's restaurant. Uh, and, we, you know, all the phones are buzzing. He goes down to the restaurant. Honestly, at this stage, we don't know what's going on. 
Uh, but we sit down and all of a sudden the staff are just laying out chicken upon chicken upon chicken. And like everyone's looking at each other like, are they taking a mick? We can't even eat this. <laughs> you know, why are they putting chicken in front of us? You know, we know the halal one is in that garu. Um, and then all of a sudden the big wigs that we'd be negotiating with um, followed the last, if you like, dish of chicken and said, you know, thank you very much, you know, for presenting to us um, uh, your case for the halal nandos. Thank you for, you know, bearing with us. Uh, and as of... Uh, today, you guys are the first to be, uh, you know, basically tasting uh, halal chicken. So you won the campaign. People will wonder sort of, will be interested in the story, but will wonder what the sort of relevance of it is. And I think it's really important now to talk about the wider lessons. And maybe you can just say a little bit about what lessons we learned from the success of this specific campaign. What the Nando's campaign did for young people was show them that they could, you know, number one, negotiate with power. Uh, and two, win campaigns that they were re- or re- win issues that they really could care about, that they really care about and are angry about, and win that change. And I think as a result of winning that change, as a result of <clears throat> making that difference, they've now had the appetite, if you like, to go on to other campaigns. Uh, many of these young people are still with us today, still training with us, using the craft community organizing, uh, and, and really, you know, as ordinary people, taking action on, on local issues really led to the young people, you know, growing together, building those opportunities to really take on other campaigns. So another successful campaign, which they really spearheaded and have taken action on, is the issue around jobs, um, uh, job uh, unemployment, uh, and tackling poverty in the workplace. Uh, Cardiff is a fantastic place for young people to grow up, uh, for, to, to work, but they had, they had issues around uh, employment and their employers, which, uh, you know, even till today, which we can see what's happening with a lot of diversity and inclusion initiatives, um, you know, are still not um, taking an interest, if you like, in our skilled young people. And so these young people have not uh, let, that, like, like, let, that, let that go, if you like, and they've actually organised themselves, reached out to employers, sat down with directors and HR executives to really negotiate with this community jobs compact, which they've developed, to really say, look, you know, would it be great if you committed to these three things? And what we'll do in, in, um, to support you is, you know, signpost your people to your jobs, uh, you know, support them with the application force. And so, you know, we've got the likes of IKEA, the Welsh Parliament, uh, ITV Wales, and numerous housing associations. And I would, I would say, you know, because we're, we're growing this as well, and as young, we've got a team of about 15 young people uh, involved with this. Uh, and many of them, at least 50% of them, were involved in the Nando's campaign. Elbasha, can I ask you about you've done work subsequently in Sudan? Will you tell us a bit more about that? Definitely. And I think uh, it started off with that, literally that chicken run. Uh, and so just before we go into that, then um, in that Nando's campaign, um, three short straws were drawn. The one, as Ali said, the one with the public transport, the one um, cycling and the one running. And I picked the one, the short straw running. So it took me four hours running from Cardiff Bay to Nakgaro in a chicken costume just to prove a point that this is how far we have to travel. Gee whiz. I bet that was quite warm, was it? Well, you know, you could say a hot chicken was definitely yeah, definitely yeah, on the yeah. loose. And, uh, you know, um, and I think build it, that, that, that definitely built some kind of dedication um, in me. And so uh, learning from those lessons and from other citizens' campaigns, uh, 2019, um, I found myself in Sudan uh, after graduating. And all of, all of a sudden, I, I was uh, eyewitness to a, to a revolution against a 30-year dictatorship. 
And when I came back to the UK and, uh, and, and seeing what it, what it is that I can do to spread awareness, I, I quickly found that the, uh, the citizens training and uh, what I've learned through my campaigns can be applicable in this situation also. So learning how to lobby, learning how to uh, gather people around and make an alliance and, and, and you know, showing solidarity, learning on how to um, spread awareness through media. And so I woke up one day and it was a massacre that happened back in Sudan. I wore my traditional clothing. And then I bought some fake blood and I put it all over myself, called a few of my friends. And then I just went walking into the city center of Cardiff. And, and then people were asking questions on, hey, what's going on here? Hey, why are you doing this? And, and you know, they, they were intrigued. And, and so I found that um, making a statement, but doing it in a way that captures people's attention. And that is definitely something I've learned from that chicken run. And um, afterwards, more campaigning led me walking from London to, to Den Haag in Netherlands uh, for seven days to hand deliver a letter to the ICC. And um, that also could have not come without that initial uh, card of citizens, uh, Halan Nando's campaign. Well, look, Ali Abdi and El Bashir Idris, it's incredibly inspiring, given I've heard the story, uh, well, six years ago now. And uh, it's great to actually uh, hear it from the well, I was going to say the horse's mouth, but that wouldn't be quite right. From the chicken's beak? From the chicken's beak. Very good, Jeff. Uh, uh, listen, thank you both for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, honestly. It's been a pleasure. Well, to talk to us about a really inspiring story of a changemaker, it is a fight for $15 activist in Illinois, Adriana Alvarez. Hello. Hi. Do you want to tell us how you first got involved in the fight for 15 Back in 2014, I uh, was working at McDonald's and I had been there for about four years at the time. I did have a two-year-old. I'm a single mom. He's now nine. And at that time, it had been about two years that we had gone without a raise. And after two years, they decided to give us 10 cents. We were outraged, obviously. Um felt very underappreciated. And around that time, an organizer from the Fight for 15 came up to me and he's like, hey, have you heard about the Fight for 15? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I've seen something on TV about it. And he's like, okay, well, what do you think? And I'm like, I don't think we're going to get 15. He's like, okay, well, what about 10? What about 12? I'm like, okay, you know, that sounds more reasonable. And he's like, well, yeah, you know, you got to start off somewhere and then meet in the middle. So we just got to talking and he asked me basically what happens at your store during a typical day. And I explained it to him, you know, like a couple things. And he looks at me and he goes, you know, that's illegal, right? And I'm, my mouth just dropped. I'm like, what do you mean that's illegal? He's like, yeah, they're stealing your wages. So that just added to my frustration and I went back to work and I told my co-workers because they saw me talking to him and they're like who's that so I told them and it just it went on from there so prior to that what conversations did you have amongst yourselves people working at the McDonald's about what kind of legal responsibilities they had towards you as an employer was it just something you you hadn't talked about We had never even thought about it. I mean, at the time that I started, I was 17, 18. And, you know, I'm thinking McDonald's is a big corporation. They know what they're doing. You know, just follow the rules and I'll be okay. But come to find out, you know, they were stealing our wages. We would have to 
basically work off the clock and people would do it because that's what they told us to do. But after I joined with the 515, we did a petition and a lot changed after that. We got respect. We got another raise. They stopped doing the illegal stuff. So it was definitely an eye opener. And the story of what happened in Chicago and Illinois more widely is extraordinary. Do you want to tell us a bit about the the success that it's had? Back in 2019, 15 got passed in Illinois. I was actually there when it was voted in. Um, I didn't get to go when it was signed into law, but uh, it was it was a great feeling. I feel like so many years, you know, pushing and pushing and fighting and it finally paid off. And, and next week in July, on July 1st, is when it actually goes into effect for Cook County, which is where I'm a part of. And uh, it's it's just amazing, you know, to hear from you guys are crazy. You're never going to get it to me being a non-believer as well, even though, you know, I work, I work and I, I feel like, yeah, I'm worth that and more. Um, so it's just a, a great big step forward. And just on a personal basis, what, what difference has it made to you? I mean, I'm obviously getting paid a lot more than what I was when I started. I was at uh, 9.15 when I started. Now I'm at um, 15.85. So um, it's a big impact. Um, I'm able to do a lot more fun stuff with my son. Um, back then, you know, I couldn't even get him. He loves Spider-Man. I couldn't get him that Spider-Man ball from the dollar store. Now we gone um so here in chicago there's a, a, a place called navy pier and they have like a bunch of games and stuff and right before the pandemic hit i was able to take him there and he just had a blast his face was just glowing and i love that you know it's i'm not asking for a, a yacht i'm not asking for a mansion you know i'm asking for these essential things that i should be able to provide for him you know on a 40-hour work week so i mean it's definitely a step forward what are you calling for next? Because you're achieving $15 in Chicago, um, in Illinois. What, what, what's the next demand of the movement? Well, the next demand would obviously be um, get 15 for everyone, you know, not just for Illinois, not just for Seattle, not just for those who have already raised it to 15, but uh, for everyone. I think everyone deserves a livable wage, and I think 15 is just the floor. Um, and then as well, you know, push for a union. Um, they can pay us $30 an hour, but then decide, you know what, you're only getting three hours a day. So we need that voice on the job. We need that protection because right now we don't feel like we have a voice on the job. With the 515, it's a little better. You know, we're able to defend ourselves. Um, but without a union, I feel like we don't have that voice. We don't have that protection from stuff going on at work, like sexual harassment, or we don't have anybody to go to. What would you say to the Adriana of 10 years ago, given you've, what you've now achieved with the fight for 15? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I guess I would just knock myself in the head and say, like, <laughs> dude, you're worth 15 and more. Because, I mean, at the time, I didn't believe it. But when you really look into, you know, what you have to do every day for these corporations and how little they appreciate you, I mean, you're told all the time that you're replaceable. How do you how do you go about that? Like, how do you mentally, how do you process that? You know, instead of appreciating you, they're like, oh no, if you want to leave, the door's wide open. We have to know our worth and stand up and say enough is enough. 
obviously it's possible. We, we did it here and we're continuing to push because we haven't gotten everything. But, you know, it's a big step. And why do you think the fight for 15 has been so successful? Because I think I'm right in saying that it began with like a couple of hundred fast food workers and now it's like tens of millions of people across America who've got a $15 minimum wage and so on. What, why has it been so successful? I think it was mainly just, you know, spreading the word, uh, having your story out there and letting people know that they weren't alone because you feel alone. Um, these managers love to put you down and these corporations just love toying with you, especially if you have no idea, you know, what your your rights are and you feel alone. So you feel like if you talk, you're not going to be heard and having that knowledge of knowing that, you know what, I'm not the only person going through this definitely had an impact on, you know, just gathering people. And we went around and told basically everybody that we knew about this and whoever was willing to join, joined. So definitely having each other's back has a lot to do with it. One question that lots of people might ask is they might say, well, it sounds like Adriana and her colleagues have had an incredible success, but I bet it was really hard. And I bet it was really had its, you know, euphoria moments like when Illinois passed the $15 minimum wage, but it had its despair moments as well. Of course. What would you say about that? I mean, anything um, worth fighting for is going to have, you know, its downsides. Um, Unfortunately, the world is in all pretty colors. Um, We have to learn how to get back up and keep fighting. And I think that definitely drives you to keep pushing forward. And then when we get little victories, whether it be just at my store or like Chicago and then back to to Illinois, it's it's, uh, proof that, you know what, we're going to fall. Yes, but we're going to get back up and we're going to come back up stronger. Um, And that's how we how we did it. You know, Illinois uh, years before 2019, I think it was like two years before that. They had introduced the 15 law and it didn't pass. So to me, that was like a low blow as well. Um, And then fast forward to two years, it got passed. So I just think, you know, there's obviously going to be downfalls, but we have to get back up stronger and just push. Well, that is a great message and a great note to end on. It's been incredibly inspiring to speak to you, Adriana Alvarez. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Divestment is something we've talked about before on the podcast, and we're going to hear now from one of the change makers who is doing something particularly exciting around that with Fossil Free West Yorkshire. Jane Thewlis, hello. Hiya. Well, uh, thanks for coming on and, and talking to us. And it's a great campaign that you're involved in, um, Fossil Free West Yorkshire. Do you want to tell us a, a bit about it and, and what it is that you're calling for and, and just your story with it? How, how did you come to be involved? Fossil Free West Yorkshire is calling for the West Yorkshire Pension Fund. That's the local government pension fund to divest from fossil fuel investments. So to sell its investments in coal, oil and gas. And the reason I got involved was uh, in 2015, I got really depressed um, and I was thinking about the future of the world and how the majority of the people would be increasingly affected by the climate crisis. I'd always taken um, individual action myself on on the environment. So I'd always sort of cycled, recycled, you know, turned lights off and so on. And I kind of thought this is this really isn't doing it. You know, it's not fixing it because emissions are going up massively. So we need something different. Um, And I wanted to put my energies into something that would address the system that perpetuates climate change. And and I suppose divestment of my local authority pension fund actually makes sense to me because I've worked for the local authority most of my life. And so it's my money that's being paid to those fossil fuel companies who are driving the climate crisis. And I also feel quite strongly about it from a point of view of democracy and accountability, because I vote for those councillors who are making those decisions about what happens to my money. Now, Ed, our listeners will know, is a recent convert to Taylor Swift. And... I know that to, to bring this to life a little bit, you were able to use Taylor Swift to, to keep Ed focused. So basically more than half of all the carbon emissions ever produced in the entire history of humanity have been produced since Taylor Swift was born. So that's 1989. And more than a quarter of all the carbon emissions ever produced in the entire history of humanity have been produced since she released her first album. So wow. that was, I think, 2006. So it just and you, shows you're not in any way blaming Taylor Swift for this. <laughs> Cause the, if, if Taylor Swift hadn't happened, you're not saying the carbon emissions wouldn't happen, just to be clear, to put Taylor no. Swift in the clear on this, on yeah, this question. Absolutely. False causation, yeah. I think we call it. And, you know, when you, you were saying that you, you became depressed, kind of thinking about the world and you know we've we've all got personal responsibility but there can be this sense of helplessness can can you talk to us a little bit about how you discovered this idea of divestment and and then how you um were able to kind of focus in on it at, at this local level that you've explained to us i was doing i did some training with friends of the earth they put something on facebook saying if you're concerned about the climate emergency you can come and do some volunteer training with us so, and as part of that, um, I need, they said I needed to have a project to work on. And I really didn't know what I was going to work on. And I remember saying to one of my sons, look, I've got to think of something. <laughs> I've got to think of something to work on. And he said he'd had a speaker about divestment at his university. And um, we were sort of looking into it. And, and it made, you know, it sort of started to make sense, as I say, because, you know, I'd worked for the local authority and so on. 
and and another member another member of this campaign had actually started fossil free west yorkshire so you know when we when we sort of looked online there was a campaign already in my area that had only just been started but that i suppose that was quite exciting and, and where has it gone from there what we've done is done the usual stuff we've sort of encourage people to talk to their councillors and talk to their MPs. The lobbying is really interesting, but probably the big public actions are, you know, really, really fun and often very creative. So there was one that we did in 2018, which um, was for Rise for Climate Day. So there were global actions right across the world. And we had one in Bradford. And two people I know organised for lots of young people to speak um, about how they wanted, you know, their vision for the future and for the world. Some of those young people were as young as 10. Um, They were very inspiring speakers. They just spoke for two minutes each, but, you know, it's really moving. And this was before Greta was ever heard of. And another really fantastic action was when a load of trade unionists organised an action right outside the West Yorkshire Pension Fund annual general meeting. But what was really exciting is that what happened inside the AGM. So always before, so we've been to a few of these as members, it's very stage managed. So it's just the councillors and the officers who speak. We as members have never been allowed to speak. And what was exciting was there was like a revolt, a pensioners revolt spontaneous. It was just, wasn't planned. And one person after another spoke up you know stood up and spoke about their you know vision for the future how they wanted um, the pension fund to really listen to them it was very exciting I mean it was absolutely amazing often the fossil fuel companies can feel like massive multinational companies and some people listening to this might think yeah like you know they're obviously quite powerful companies you know I find it a bit hard to believe that like Jane and her colleagues and you know even me getting involved can really have a diff- make a difference to that what would you say to those to those people sort of skeptics if you like well one of the fossil fuel companies i can't remember which it was not that long ago in their annual report said divestment was was something to worry about you know the divestment movement was something to fear they are scared of it i mean it's it's damaging their reputation and that's everything isn't it that they're based on and it hasn't taken much, to be honest. There's, a, there's a, just a small group of us. We've done it in our spare time. Um, and I think we're, we're really shaking things here. I don't think it's going to be that long before um, West Yorkshire decide they do need to divest from fossil fuels. So it's absolutely possible. I also think a lot of our councillors feel quite helpless, actually. A lot of our politicians feel quite helpless. And if we talk to them about this is something they can do, that's quite exciting for them. If you say, well, this is this is how we're connected. This is these people are voting for you because they want a future. And this is something you can really do to change that future. I think people start to feel, well, hang on, there is something I can do here. And what would you say to somebody who really likes what they hear from you and says, OK, but, you know, Jane's now a longstanding campaigner on these issues. She's got her colleagues in West Yorkshire. What What do I do in my area to get involved and and do do a Jane Thewlis, if I can put it that way? Well, they should do it. You know, if they, if they fancy it, I think if I can do it, anyone can do it. And I think, you know, it's really, really rewarding. And it's a way to actually create, you know, a fairer, healthier, safer world. 
Um, but if they go to the website, www.divest.org.uk, so that's a really fantastic website. It's got loads of useful resources and the staff who work for Divest UK are really helpful and really supportive. So they could have a look and see whether there's a group in their local area that they could join or if they want to support, you know, start one themselves and they could do that. And it doesn't have to just be about, you know, local government pension funds. You can start a campaign around a private pension fund or around a faith group or, uh, you know, your university group. There's there's loads of different ways to, to work on it. Well, look, um, Jane Thewlis, it is really inspiring uh, to talk to you. You're one of the, you know, many, many people who's campaigning on this issue, but, but you've, you've spoken with great eloquence about it. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, to to finish, we are going to talk to a fantastic writer who has published some brilliant work on social movements, including co-authoring the book, This is an Uprising, Paul Engler. Hello. Hello. So I wondered if you could just start by telling us the story behind This is an Uprising and what what led you to start thinking about this and then, then writing about the strategies of social movements? I am kind of a community organizing geek. I grew up um, from a family that's very unique. My dad was a radical priest and my mom was a nun and they were part of a a reform movement in the Catholic church. And so I grew up in a very progressive family and became a community organizer very young. My eldest brother was trained in the old school ways of organizing, which is a lot about knocking on doors and getting people to meetings and developing uh, leaders in workplaces and in communities. And then my aspiration in life was to become a student radical. Uh, So I did become, I went to college, became a student radical and the battle in Seattle happened. This uh, protest in Seattle that shut down the World Trade Organization, and it created what we call a moment of the whirlwind, where uh, the media spotlight was put on the what we called the global justice movement. The media branded us as the anti-globalization movement, but uh, everything changed. Uh, and as a student of community organizing, it rocked my world. I was, for instance, trained to mobilize people to meetings by one-on-one conversations and and house visits to invite people to meetings. And uh, we were having a a meeting right after the battle in Seattle and hundreds of people showed up to like a church basement without ever being, I had no idea where they came from and I didn't talk to them. And I'm like, what is hell hell is happening? Uh, And since then uh, I have studied that tradition of what I call mass protest organizing. And what 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 do you feel? I mean, that that you brought to this work, but also in the research you did. What do you think you learned about the relationship between movements and and bringing about actual change? Like, what, what how big a part movements play in that? If you study drastic changes in public opinion or changes in uh, what we call active popular support. If you study 
when do people actually become radicalized or actually start getting involved in a social movement? You will see that it's not a gradual line uh, of data of slowly, gradually increasing. No, what you see is that there's these trigger events and these moments of the whirlwind that change everything. And that does not change by politicians. <laughs> that does not change by the people uh, who are have the bully pulpit or who the media are constantly 90, 95% of all the media attention is on decision makers. But really, those are led by social movements. Throughout history, many of the trigger events that became moments of the world when were actually engineered by social movements, not all of them. Some of them are almost purely created by by external events and a lot of but some of them are engineered by social movements. The civil rights movement was really good at create engineering trigger events. And that's one of the reasons why Martin Luther King was um, was such an amazing historical figure is because he created these trigger events a lot of times out, out of nowhere. I mean, very little conditions supporting him. And he created trigger event after trigger event that changed history as we know it. Gandhi was considered to be almost a miracle worker in India because he knew so much. He talked about it as sort of like a science of creating trigger events and moments of the world when he knew how to engineer them in a way that cha drastically changed uh, Indian public opinion and could mobilize millions of people to do things. I take it that you're sort of saying there are four sets of forces, go things going on here. Um, there's objective circumstances, um, you know, the objective circumstances of inequality, the climate crisis, the things that are going on. There's public opinion about that. There's social movements and the extent to which they mobilise, capitalise on public opinion. And there's politicians and that they all sort of interact in, you know, in kind of quite complicated um uh ways but it, just on the social movements question people think mass movements just sort of arrive whereas actually organizing those movements is incredibly important that's not just spontaneous combustion it's it's organized yes well, and, and one of the problems is the media sees it as spontaneous combustion and they don't give credit to social movements. You actually still need polit politicians to create change, but it, it's a dynamic. They play a different role than social movements, and they also play a different role. There is a different role to be played by what we call structure-based organizations, which are labor unions, community organizations that do a lot of grassroots organizing. Mass protest organizing is... Uh, has a lot of techniques to quickly absorb the energy of trigger events and moments of whirlwind and also how to capitalize on them. Last question. Um, you know, sometimes progressives can feel quite hopeless. You've got a Democratic president, Joe Biden, now, so you'll be feeling um, probably more optimistic despite many of the challenges. Just talk to us briefly about the way in which social movements have shaped the Biden agenda? Even my opposition, I'm a leftist, but even more conservative people admit we're in a totally different world of public opinion. The political weather has drastically changed. Obama, when he came to office, had to fight to get 
a trillion dollar stimulus package. And he was fighting within the Democratic Party that was was very critical of any form of of mass spending. You know, they were very uh, cautious about how how much they were going to use the state to intervene in the economy. Nowadays, that's not an issue. It's it's uh, the the whole uh, world inside the Democratic Party has changed around a variety of different things. That is not because of Biden. <laughs> Anyways, it's uh, it's sort of in total conflict with Biden, who has been sort of a he's like a perfect example of he's one of the last people to flip on a lot of issues. What social movements have done is they changed the weather and polarize things so that now a lot of things that were considered radical or considered outside of the possibilities are now possible. It's incredibly important work that you're doing. We're incredibly grateful to you uh, for joining us and explaining it. Paul Engler, co-author of This is an Uprising. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So what did you think? I just found the whole thing incredibly inspiring. Often on the podcast, we're talking about ideas in the abstract. And when you hear stories like this, it just brings them to life so much. They're just great stories. And it shows that people are willing to get behind campaigning if you give them the right story, if you frame it right. I I think it was really inspiring too. I mean, particularly our change makers, because they were just, you know, the $15 minimum wage, the community organising in Wales, you know, now about jobs and all kinds of other things, the anti-fossil fuel, the fossil fuel divestment campaign. Actually, why I think sort of valued it, because it illustrates the sort of bigger, broader point that Paul was, I think, partly talking about, which is, you know, Whatever politicians do, and politicians are absolutely crucial to making change. I'm not I'm not just saying that because I'm a politician. Uh, you know, people can have effects. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it wasn't a politician who came along and said, let's have a $15 minimum wage. It was fast food workers in New York. It, in a way, it goes to the whole reason you suggested this podcast nearly 200 episodes ago, I would remind you. Uh, you know, which is giving people a sense of hope, giving people a sense that change is possible and actually that they can be involved in it. And I think there is something about this which we've always got to understand, which is big changes, when they begin, are seen as outlandish because if they were not seen as outlandish, they would have happened already, I suppose, almost by definition. Do you know what I mean? And I don't know about you, but it's really given me the appetite for hearing more of these stories. Definitely. And if you're listening to this at the moment and and you're trying to make a change, you're getting people on board, we'd love to hear from you. We could talk to you on the podcast, maybe. It doesn't have to be be a huge It doesn't need to be sort of world peace. You know what I mean? No, no. Just just, I mean, if you're getting world peace, if you're doing world peace, we'd like to hear from you too. Oh, yeah. We don't want to exclude you if you you are on the track to cracking world peace. I mean, that'd be quite the exclusive, wouldn't it? It would. It would. It would be good for the download figures. Exactly. But it doesn't have to be. Send us your ideas or suggest a guest for a future episode. Email reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook or tweet at cheerfulpodcast. Well, we're in the outro. I shall be going off to see if I can find a photographer. Would you like me to be your kind of like, I don't know if I would be a henchman or something. I could patrol the bushes. That's true. I could see you as like that, actually. Also, with the moustache, you kind of, it kind of gives you a certain sort of, 
you know, Inspector Lloyd. I know we've already done the uh, the retro TV bit with Dallas, but I'm thinking Minder. I would be in the Dennis Waterman role, and you you would be like George Cole, Arthur Daly. Yeah, only you wouldn't be in a, a camel hair coat. You'd just be in your speedos. Yeah, well, I can see you as that sort of. You can be my bodyguard. <laughs> right? Should we thank our Should we thank our guests? I'd like to thank Ali Abdi and El Bashir Idris, uh, Adriana Alvarez, Jane Thewlis, and Paul Engler. Emma Caution produces our podcast. The research and guest booking is all done by Joel Pierce with backup from Joe Kenyon at Goldfish. Gail Lofthouse is our announcer. Ed Seed composed the music. James Deacon made our eye dance and our artwork was designed by Henry Cole. He's been avoiding the paparazzi in his speedos. He's been mixing it with the Dallas cameos. And these have been reasons to be cheerful. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.